Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. Pete Carroll calls it real life drama. And that is how we describe the NFL draft that is just wrapped up. What's up, everybody? Coming to you on a Monday afternoon here from the 1029-750 The Game Studios in downtown Portland. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. This is the Game Plan Podcast dedicated to all things Seahawks and National Football League. And Perkins, today we're talking about the Seahawks draft class of 2018. We'll get to general takeaways. We'll also get to perhaps the most... um, you know, heart-rending story, not only of this draft, but any draft that I can remember. Shaquem Griffin picked in the fifth round by Seattle. We'll also talk about their first-round draft selection of Rashad Penny and how that draft selection came about, and we'll get to some final takeaways as well. But, Perk, first of all, it's good to be back and talking NFL draft. It was an exciting weekend. Let's talk general takeaways from the Seahawks draft class as, uh, as they made a lot of selections. Made some trades as well. I saw that 56 trades have now been made in the Pete Carroll, John Schneider era that have affected draft picks. 56, including a couple they made this weekend. Um, let's let's just welcome the newcomers first. Rashad Penny, running back, San Diego State. Rasheem Green, USC defensive end. Will Disley, tight end, Washington. Shaquem Griffin, linebacker, UCF. Trey Flowers, safety, Oklahoma State. Michael Dixon, Texas punter. Jamarco Jones, Offensive tackle, Ohio State. Jake Martin, linebacker, Temple. Alex McGuff, quarterback, Florida International. And, of course, a handful of undrafted free agents as well. Perkins, your general takeaways from this class. Yeah, some surprises and some things that really fit, I think, the 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 direction this team is headed, right? You and I have been talking all offseason about the changes that this team has made and the direction that they are headed clearly. And agree with it or not, We've said all along that with the hiring of Solari, with the change in offensive coordinator, the change even in defensive coordinator, clearly Pete Carroll is either going to win his way or go out on his own terms, Mm -hmm. one or the other, because he wants to get back to the type of football that made this team successful in the early 2010s. It's weird to say that now, but it's 2018, so I guess it is time to say that. Is that how you characterize (laughs) a decade? I mean, it's pretty crazy, but, you know, 2012 is kind of when this whole ride started, right? Um, I mean, I know Pete Carroll was here earlier than that, but that's when they really took that next step. And even though some of the picks were surprising, like maybe Rashad Penny getting drafted where he did, a lot of these picks fit into all the moves that they made this offseason. In our pre-draft podcast, you know, you and I both talked about uh, the, the chances were good that they could take a running back because there's a lot of good running back depth in this draft. Now, neither you or I thought it might go the direction they did in terms of the player they picked, but based on the moves this team has made, it wouldn't have surprised us at all if they used that first pick on a running back, right? which they did. Then they go out and get the guy that's considered the best blocking tight end in the draft in Will Disley and... and you know, you talk, you couple that with the signing of Dixon this offseason, not the punter, but the tight end. I mean, clearly they're moving away from the Jimmy Graham pass emphasis style of off tight end, moving towards more protect the quarterback, have an impact in the run game style. And, uh, you know, when you look at some of these guys that they brought in, even Jamarco Jones, who I don't know if he'll ever see playing time this year, maybe he'll be a swing tackle, um, you know, a backup type guy this season 
he fits Solari's profile. You know, Tom, Tom Cable is no more, right? You know, <laughs> so I think the overall theme is clearly this team is emphasizing the run based on the picks that they made on the offensive side of the ball. And one of the takeaways I had, and this might be intentional, it might not be, but how many big schools are represented on this draft board? Um, USC, Washington, Oklahoma State, Texas, Ohio State for the offensive linemen. Um, yes, of a t- Temple represented in the sixth round and FIU with Alex McGuff in the seventh round. And Rashad Penny, depending on how you think about San Diego State as a football program, whether or not that's – it's certainly not a Power 5 school, but uh, it's one of the better schools still – for football on the West Coast. That stood out to me as well. There's going to be a handful of interesting position battles that are affected by these draft picks, most notably, you know, Michael Dixon at, at punter. Anytime that a team drafts a punter, it's notable. Um, but the more research that you kind of do on this guy, and we can dig into it on the other side too, is is he's a very, very intriguing prospect. Uh, let's take Shaquem Griffin out of it for just a moment because we'll dive deep on him in a moment. But what was the most intriguing draft selection quickly for you? Well, I think it's Rasheem Green. Um, you know, he's a guy that they have a major void there. They trade Michael Bennett this offseason. Cliff Averill likely is going to retire. I mean, and the great thing about Green and why I think he went so late is because he's really not elite at any one position, right? Mm-hmm. But he can play inside and out. He needs to gain a little bit of muscle, but he's already built for the NFL. He can come in and have an immediate impact. Um, and obviously he comes from Pete Carroll's old stomping grounds in USC which is kind of interesting as well. I think that he is a type of guy that uh, we're going to hear his name on Sundays you know, right away pretty much this season. He has the potential to have a pretty big impact. And a first-team All-Pac-12 player as a junior last year. Certainly uh, fans are familiar with his name on this side, even though Oregon didn't play USC last year. One of the coolest stories of the draft this weekend and really of, of Seahawks uh, drafting history was took place Saturday. With the 141st overall selection, the fourth pick of the first round, Seattle took Shaquem Griffin off the board. Now, obviously, Shaquem's story has really um, gained mass exposure ever since February when he was did, did not receive an invite to the scouting combine and then kind of opined for one, then got one, went, uh, did incredibly well in so many different measurements, aside from the most recent controversy around his 40-yard dash time, doing this all with one hand. He does not have a left hand, and he played he, hometown from Tampa and you know played at UCF, did very well there on a team that went undefeated last year and upset Auburn in the Peach Bowl and was one of the best players in the American Athletic Conference doing so, uh, Shaquem Griffin. His older brother, Shaq, Drafted by the Seahawks, was it a couple years ago now or just last year? Last year. Last year, because he was a rookie last year. Yeah. As a starting corner, and now he gets reunited with his twin brother as a member of the Seattle Seahawks. Truly an incredible and heartwarming story, but you also want to honor his production value and where he fits in the defensive scheme. And I thought it was interesting that John Schneider and Pete Carroll in their postgame um in their post-draft press conference, didn't make note of that and, and said that they were honest in trying to determine the value of uh, Shaquem and exactly, you know, how many missed tackles has he had, you know, how does only having one hand harm him as a football player, which it objectively does, but how does he still have that value? What are your thoughts on Shaquem landing in Seattle? Yeah, well, obviously it's a great story for starters, right? And it's one of those stories that, 
you know, you talk about years down the line. It's kind of one of those things, you know, that's yeah. going to be a lasting memory. It won't ever go away, will it? Without a doubt. I mean, how, how does a story like his ever get old? I don't think it does. Here's the first kind of interesting fact. Seattle hadn't drafted a linebacker since 2014, Kevin Pierre-Lewis. Is that right? Wow. So it's been a while since, yeah. in, you know, if we're talking purely football here, I mean, they clearly need some depth there because, you know, Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, they're not getting any younger. You know, to say the least. But they've really supplemented, especially when Bruce Irvin left a couple seasons ago, they really supplemented that that side of the line by bringing in some experienced guys. You know, we saw who was at Will Hoyt last season. You, you saw some guys that had been on the, even KPL for a little while there, some guys that had been on the roster for a while step in. But linebacker was a position that um, did not surprise me at all that they tried to uh, to find some depth because – they really need it there. And he, you know, you you heard Pete and John mention that, you know, he they, he likely would, you know, be a backup to KJ. Yeah, that's exactly right. Playing the weak side linebacker with an opportunity to show off his speed, chase down the football. Um, that's kind of where they kind of see him right now. Any concern about the 40 time? I know at the four at the combine he was um clocked at going to four three eight, which is ridiculously blazing. Uh, for a guy of his size, he outweighs Shaquille by 15 pounds and then outran him like that. And then there was a report that came up, uh, I think, Sunday, that one of the reasons Shaquille may have s- slipped, believe it or not, to the fifth round, because many projected him as like, like a, a third, third, yeah, was because of that miss, um, mistimed 40-yard dash. Seahawks wouldn't really comment on it. It didn't seem like it'd be a concern with them that 4.58 was the more accurate measurement and not 4.38. Two tenths and a forty is significant, um, but I don't know if it's too significant to to worry about his production value that he that he brings. Yeah, you know it's so funny because he's a guy that's over obviously overcome a lot already in his life to get to where he is. I mean, he's the first player in modern era NFL to to be drafted, the first one handed player. Yeah, I mean that says something. It's and incredible. With that being said, it's kind of hard to count him out, isn't it? A little bit like it, it, I, I'm not saying like oh he has a lot of heart so he'll do well. No, this is a guy that has worked very, very, very hard to get to where he is already, and I think that he has earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to taking that to the next level as well. Do I think that initially he's anything more than a special teams player? Probably not. And he might be able to thrive as a special teamer if you think about that speed and, and Seattle, size. And Seattle values that, by the way. Huge. I mean, think about like Thorpe and, um, and Lockett, mm-hmm. Ricardo, that is, <laughs> back in the day. Uh, Rocket, as they called him, right? Because he was always, you know, on He's the ball awesome. in punt returns. And, yeah. or, excuse me, in punt and kick coverage. You know, having those types of guys, Seattle really values because field position really matters to them. And it's something that they've been lacking a little bit in terms of discipline there. So he could end up being a stud in that uh, in that area. The effect that he might have on players in the locker room, I think, is something you can't quantify it or attempt to. Um, it might simply be anecdotal. But if you put yourself in like a, hypothetically put yourself in a pro team's locker room even the coaches pete and john were talking about this too just how much of an effect an inspirational effect seeing a guy walking around with one hand playing in the nfl has on you personally to inspire you to do your job better um you know scouts might not be comfortable with that because again it's hard to translate that onto a football field but this is a team the seahawks have always used emotion tried to use emotion to their benefit this is emotion put on a silver platter for them to use it to their benefit. I mean, it's an incredible inspirational story that he has to positively affect those around him. 
to say the least. Yeah, no, it, it it really is. It's it's one of those stories that just transcends so many other parts of of football. But at the same time, in the end, once you put on the pads and once you kind of get back into the swing of things, I mean, you got to perform right in the end, and you gotta you you have to be able to compete and perform and. I think that he's once again earned the benefit of the doubt that he can come in and and be an impact player. I just don't think it's going to be necessarily on you know the starting twelve of the defensive side of the football necessarily. At least not right away. Not day one. Definitely not. Um, he's got to work his ass off, as Pete Carroll said. Yeah, and uh, and Shaq knows that too. Let's talk about Seattle's first round draft pick, Rashad Penny, picked number twenty seven overall, running back out of San Diego State. The Seahawks originally had the 18th overall pick in this year's draft. There was a lot of conversation whether or not they would trade down or trade completely out of the first round. Um, I, well, they didn't trade out of 18 until they had to, um, which is when they started going on the clock for the 18th overall pick. Part of that was because there was one player in particular that I had my on that I think you probably had your eye on, and that was Derwin James, the safety out of Florida State. And as he kept falling down the draft board, I was expecting more and more teams to select him, and he wasn't. Um, And then he got one pick away to the Seahawks at 18 and instead went to Gus Bradley's defense with the L.A. Chargers at pick number 17. Great pick for them. I was hosting a live draft show at the time. It was the last segment we had, and I was emoting live on the air how much that hurt me because I really wanted Derwin James there. Um, but obviously, did you feel similarly? Were you looking yeah. at James and hoping he goes to Seattle? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it, the, the fact that it came that close is pretty stunning. It kind of reminds me a little bit, though he hasn't necessarily panned out as well as people thought, but Justice Winslow falling in the NBA draft to the Heat. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to be like a top five, six pick, and he fell like 13 or 14 right into the Heat's lap. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, good for the Chargers because they got a really good player. And Seattle, you know, obviously, I know they signed McDougald in the offseason, and um, and you know, Earl is still there. They didn't trade him away, which is a big story in and of itself. <laughs> they didn't yep. get rid of him. Um, but you know, it would have been nice to have another young up and comer, you know, in that backfield. Um, and Seattle really didn't focus on the secondary at all in this. Well, they draft, got but... Trey Flowers in the fifth sure. round, safety from Oklahoma State, but that's the lone secondary member that they had. And to be honest, who knows how well Flowers can contribute, especially not right away. Yeah. But going back to Penny, once again, did not shock me that they picked a running back, you know, but as is the theme with many Seahawk drafts, you were kind of left scratching your head. And I think I figured out the formula, you know, all the draft experts out there, Mike Mayock, Mel Kuyper Jr. Listen to me right now. Whoever you think the Seahawks need positionally, Pick the best player that you think is going to be available at that time and go down the chart like three or four guys. <laughs> that will be the one that they select. Uh, yeah. Think about Bruce Irvin getting selected um, in what year was that? 2012, right? Yeah. In the 2012 draft. First round. Remember, I mean, they panned Seattle in that pick, taking Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, and Bruce Irvin with their first three picks of the draft. I mean, they panned that draft, and obviously it worked out differently. And Bruce Irvin was a good player, but never got a second contract with Seattle. Look at Frank Clark, another guy that domestic violence issues aside was expected to drop because of those issues, and Seattle ends up taking him right uh, much higher than a lot of people thought he would go in the draft. So Seattle is not adverse at all to you know to really you know going to the beat of their own drum, but I just don't know if you got the value there um, th- that you're looking for. Well, it's in a great it's a great conversation too because when you don't have a second round pick. The way that Seattle had, yeah, 
you have a position of need, even though the importance of that position is debatable, but you fall in love with a guy, you know, do you quote unquote reach? I mean, for them, I'm, I know Seattle doesn't consider it a reach. You know why? They got their guy. You know, if there's hypothetically, if there's a guy that's projected to be a six round pick and you don't have a six round pick, do you reach for him in the fifth round? Yeah, probably. Did you get get him 20 picks ahead of where he was supposed to be mocked? Yeah, but you weren't going to get him again. So did you reach? The mocks say yes. The team says no. I I think this is a similar situation. They got the guy that they wanted for a position of need that they value. Clearly. And a position that's that's its value in the NFL, I think, is in flux. I'm not completely ready to say the running back is not important. Obviously, it's it's changing, but I think the momentum is sliding a little too far to the side that anybody can do that job. But not three weeks, or not even a couple months ago, you were saying how excited you were that Mike Davis was back and Chris Carson, the impact they were going to have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so they used their I, first pick on a guy that they supposedly already have depth at that position. Mm. You're using your first round pick. You're not a team. In my, see, this is where it just gets me with it, with this. You are not a team that is like one piece away from winning a championship. You are in a quasi rebuild slash, you know, try to scrape together nine or 10 wins this season and hopefully be ready in 2019. That's how I look at this team. They have a lot of positional needs right now. And it just felt to me like running back. I'm not shocked that they did it because They've dealt with so many injuries, and they need someone that's productive, and he wants another Marshawn Lynch at that position, which is you know, a guy that Penny, they believe, can be, minus pass blocking, which is a big you know negative from him. But that's the part that just gets me a little bit is you know they bring back Mike Davis. They give him over a million bucks. You have Chris Carson coming back this season. You, you say over a million bucks as if that's a lot of money. I mean, it's not nothing, but for it's not a team a lot like the money. Seahawks that are pretty cap-strapped, that's a lot of money for that position. And now you're giving first round dollars to another running any, back. Any move would be a lot of money. Any I, move for the Seahawks. But now you're is giving first round dollars to an, another running back. Yeah, I uh, not named Sony Michelle. Well, and that's that's the conversation. You know, he Rashad Penny is a and we're we're having a conversation very similar to what the national pundits had too. There was an overwhelming amount of surprise when Rashad Penny went here. Now, if his name was Rashad Quarter, would we value him more? Well, I think you would value him probably around 24, 25 times more. Yeah. But <laughs> Darius Guy's still there. Obviously, there was the whole stuff yeah, with the him. Yeah, the story about how he got into a fight or something like that. Like what was it? Like an altercation? Yeah, an altercation <laughs> of some sort. The fact that he was lying to teams about the fact that he had been asked whether or not he liked men. Yeah. Like, that's a very weird thing to lie about. Yeah. Um. Enough character questions there to where he slipped all the way to the mid-second round Yeah, because that's the who Redskins. I projected them taking. Right, but purely from a football standpoint. Um, so the fact that Rashad Penny is the second running back off the board in this draft, you know, Saquon is the only other running back to go ahead of him. <laughs> I know. That really says something. Now, let's talk about his production just for a moment. 2,248 rushing yards as a senior, over 2,200 yards. Over nine yards per touch his last two years at San Diego State combined. Last year, he had over 30 rushes that went for 15 yards or more. Good receiver, but struggles mightily in pass protection, as you've alluded to. His running style has been uh, characterized as fluid. He can make guys miss. He's decisive, which aids to a zone blocking scheme. And he's durable, Perk. He's Mm -hmm. played in all 54 games. That matters, I think, big time right. to Seattle. Especially for someone that has played four years in college. That's significant tread. 
I've, you've heard similar uh, critiques of Royce Freeman going to Denver in the second round. That a lot of tread on his tires, but Penny was much more durable than Royce was at Oregon. And 91 broken tackles last year, five foot 11, 220 pounds. Yes, the positional reach that debate is warranted, but for the player in fit, I'm buying into it a little bit more now than I was on Thursday. Yeah, I think that he's a good fit for the team. But once again, I just feel positionally and and also the stats are great, you know, and you're playing Air Force, UNLV, Fresno State, Hawaii. Yeah, sure. You're going to put up nine yards per touch. Um, Now, they did play Stanford last year. Shout out Mountain West. (laughs) Yeah, they did play Stanford and Arizona State last year, and he had 175 uh, rushing yards against Stanford. He averaged five and a half yards. And they won that game. They did win that game. And they beat Arizona State. And they beat Arizona State at ASU. Yeah. And he had 216 yards yeah. in that game. And he had like 230-some yards in the in the Armed Forces Bowl against Army and four touchdowns. Yeah. Production speaks for itself with this guy. The, it does. It's just the level of competition week in, week out that makes me question that a little bit. Uh, look, we knew they weren't going to go O-line in the first round. When Crosby started falling out of Oregon, I was kind of hoping that they might take a flyer on him, but I heard there's, you know, concerns with his foot um, and in concussions. Yeah. And concussions, too, which is odd. Uh, and I don't know how much he fits the mold of, of what Solari is looking for, Yeah, but you know, you're, you're kind of, I mean, he's, he's a guy that didn't allow any sacks last season. So man, but look, I think he's a good pick from a fit standpoint with Seattle. And I think that he will be productive for them, but this is a team that I just think, I don't know, man, it just, it, I, it, it didn't surprise me at all, but I think there are greater needs. That kind of lends itself to final thoughts here on this draft class, and we'll get to a lot of the guys, the other guys that Seattle drafted. Um, the fact that they're going more run-oriented to kind of reestablish the fundamental roots of this is for this football team. Uh, Will Disley, the tight end they selected with the fourth-round pick, 120 overall. This is a converted defensive end midway through his collegiate career at the University of Washington. And uh, not a whole ton of receiving stats, only two touchdowns that he caught last year as Washington went all the way to the Fiesta Bowl. Um, But, as you've mentioned before, the best blocking tight end in this year's draft. Uh, I want to play a cut of John Schneider and Pete Carroll talking about this selection of Will Disley because they were pretty fired up in the words of uh, Pete Carroll. Yeah, it has been harder to find. John's been you know, checking it for years now. We've really had a difficult time finding the guy that can come in and do both, you know, catch the ball and run some routes for you, but be a, a, a strong blocker. And it is, it's been pretty well stated that we thought he was the best blocker in the draft. And, and, and for that reason, we were, we've tuned into him early and we were, we've been keeping our fingers crossed the whole time. That's why it was kind of nerve-wracking to, you know, to wait it out because we thought he really had a, a unique fit that he could add to our football team and, and you know, make us better. Probably the closest thing to Zach that we've seen. Yeah. Miller. I, I like that last comment from John Schneider, the closest thing to Zach Miller that we've seen in a while. Because to be honest, Perkins, Zach Miller, my favorite tight end in the history of the uh, Seattle Seahawks, someone that could block at an elite level and be a third down security blanket for uh, Russell Wilson in this rookie season of 2012 and uh, the Super Bowl year of 2013 as well. I love the descriptions on this guy. Uh, go figure, he would be a converted defensive lineman that uh, <laughs> Seattle's been so fond of turning to offensive linemen. But 
Um, I, I kind of like this fit and this pick. It's different from a Luke Wilson, Nick Vanette selection. Neither of those guys very good blockers at all, and certainly not Jimmy Graham. But it, but the signing of Ed Dixon, the drafting of Will Disley, reinforcing the importance of blocking at the tight end position and partnered with the physicality of a guy like Penny, you can see the direction start to manifest itself. Yeah, and they've, I mean, you know, they've only drafted, this is their fourth tight end they've drafted in the P. Carroll John Snyder era. They drafted uh, McCoy in 2010. Um, out of USC, right. which is like the year after he left the college, Pete Carroll. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, Van Nett has not panned out at all. Um, you know, he was a high pick. I mean, Has, he was hasn't a- seen the field much either. You know, with a guy like Jimmy Graham, you're automatically going to be brought down the depth chart. And then Luke Wilson was just a better player than he was. Yeah, but they brought Luke Wilson back, remember? They did. They that's didn't true. feel like he was ready. So, yeah. I mean, that's, true. I mean, that, I think that says something as well. I mean, you take a guy in the third round and you hope that he has a little bit more of an impact than he has. I think I remember he had a drop, a pretty big drop, I feel like, last year. At some yes, point. he definitely did. <laughs> it was, uh, I think it, Russell, like, under underarmed it. Oh, yeah. And Vanette was wide the hell open, and they couldn't connect. So it was a bad throw and a drop, which is double whammy. Yeah. Um, uh, good, good. It's very nostalgic. But, you know, I, I agree with you. I think this is a good pick. And, look, I like that Seattle has picked an idea. Whether or not I necessarily agree with it, I think that we have to trust that they've done a good job with this before, so hopefully they can again. And technically, technically, they know more about football than we do. Barely. Technically. Just barely. But, I mean, look, there have been some questionable decisions, especially in the draft, made by this front office over the past several years. So I think it's easy to kind of jump on that and question them. But I like that that they picked a vision. They said, we need to change something. They pick the vision and they're going with it, and they are going full bore in that direction, which is good. Um, so I think that I think Disley's going to obviously see some, you know a significant amount of playing time this season. Look, if you can block, you're going to find time on this team. That's yeah. the beauty of it. Yeah, if you can make yourself an extra lineman on the edge and do well, you're going to find a spot on this team. That's that's why it except fits. for Shad Penny, he doesn't have to be able to block. Well, that that's why he's going to be a two down back as well. I think that's you know technically uh, CJ Process is still on the roster. As is J.D. McKissick. Those are the guys you can play on third down a little bit more. Yeah, so now, so how many running backs do they have now? Like five. Five? Yeah. Okay. Competition. Um, Disley, <laughs> Hashtag competition. Disley, 6'4", 267. He ran the, uh, he had the fifth best shuttle time among tight ends at the draft, or at the combine. Twelfth best 40 time among tight ends. Um, so, and a Bozeman native. He recommends going to Glacier National Park for anybody to get to know Montana. Perkins, I did that one especially for you. Just for me. Glacier. Go there if you haven't been there. It's the GOAT National Park. The GOAT National Park. All right. uh, We got to wrap it up here. But before we do, let's talk about the punter, Michael Dixon. Um, The other guys that Seattle drafted, I'm not sure if we'll have time for. Trey Flowers, Jake Martin. Maybe you can chime in at Jamarco Jones if you've got something on him. But let's first uh, talk Michael Dixon. Trading up in the fifth round to select this guy. 149th overall punter out of Texas. Real quick clip on uh, John Schneider and Pete Carroll on Dixon. You know, he was just too unique of a player. His, his uh, I, I talked to his uh, Tom Tom Herman and, you know, he was an M- MVP of a, of a bowl game and, you know, Matt Berry had been at the game and was like, this is the best, he was the best player on the field by far that night and he, you know, it's a rarity when you when those guys stand out like that. And this guy, you know, he he. Uh, first of all, we both love John Ryan, and yeah, you know, awesome. it's all this is all about competition. Um, and there's been guys that have drafted, and I mean, I I was with a team 
that, that drafted a punter in the third round that completely failed, you know. Um, I was with a team that drafted a, a kicker and was beat out by a rookie free agent. So it's all about competition. And, but, you know, he, he is unique the way he, he, can, he can do stuff with the ball that we haven't seen yet. Yeah, he's that Australian rules guy, right? I mean, he, yeah. he kind of has that unique that unique flavor. You know, John Ryan's going to have a lot to overcome, though. Um, about five million things that I can think of that are green and uh, made of paper. So that's we talk kinda, about money a lot with this team, and that's not insignificant. It's not. And what makes me a little nervous, and once again, we're kind we're you know we're kind of seeing this team head towards like I was saying, it's not like a full rebuild. You know, they have a lot of franchise pieces, but you know, probably a year step back, hope hoping to kind of, you know, shoot ahead in 2019, 2020 for another run. But, you know, John Ryan has been so consistent and so good for this team, Um, you know, year in and year out. He's the one last holdover, the pre uh, Pete Carolera. He was on the pod last week. Yeah. And we were talking about how he's he's been here since 2008. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a heck of a long time. So, you know, I, I think when they say there's competition, I get what they're saying, but I think that clearly they're trying to, you know, get, maybe get a youth movement going here um, in the special teams kicking game. Um, more often than not, punters that get drafted are successful. You know, that's something that's interesting. I think Field Goals did some research into it. Punters that get drafted, those teams more often than not are, are successful and and sometimes see second contracts with that team, but also see second contracts with other teams down the road. And punt, I mean, punting is really important for Seattle. I mean, every team it's important, yeah. but Seattle will punt at midfield, right? Like they'll punt, they they would prefer to punt and pin you inside the 10 or preferably the five than go for it on a fourth and two from the 48-yard line. This Dixon guy, he was named MVP of the Texas Bowl that uh, UT, I think they beat Mizzou or something like that. He had 11 punts in the game, 10 of them inside the opponent's 20. Yeah. 10 of the 11 punts were inside the 20. And I went back and watched those. There was like five inside the 10 and a couple on the two that died. That chip shot died. And it it was incredible. I mean, I don't think it was luck. It's got to be skill of some level more advanced than I I can know. But uh, that can be a real weapon. 84 punts last season, eight touchbacks. Wow. I mean... He's a he's a he was a really a good weapon. punter in college. No, and I'm sure that he'll be good at the next level. It's just a little bit. It's just you know it's kind of interesting because they have had such a steady presence there for such a long time to see them trade up in a round. In my opinion, the fifth round, which is really kind of the last like money round where you can kind of get guys where you maybe expect them to have a um, sure you know a, an impact maybe year one year two. Obviously, with Seattle, that you know they find some guys, some treasures late too. But you know that fifth round is kind of that sweet spot, and you know you look and cornerback is still kind of an issue. They signed Maxwell obviously during the draft; they get that done, so that's good. Yep. But it's just kind of it's just interesting to see them make that decision. But you know he's a good player. I'm interested to see how that competition plays out. Last punter Seattle drafted. Do you know this? Oh, let's take you back to 2006, seventh round selection. Ryan Plackemeyer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so that's, there's a name. That's for all you at home. All right, final thoughts, Perkins. A couple guys we didn't get to get to, but uh, any final thoughts for you on this draft class? Yeah, you know, just the one lineman that they drafted, real quick, the one offensive lineman. Right. The fact that they only drafted one. Yeah. Something to be said for that, while uh, getting Disley as well. I think there's something to be said for that in the sense that their offensive line, love it or hate it, is relatively set. And with Fant coming back, it does give them depth. 
too. And they're talking about him as as a guy that could play right tackle. Fant. Yeah, I think you know, there's going to be some competition between him and Effetti. I think some serious competition. Yeah. And on, once again, I just wouldn't be shocked if Effetti ended up moving back inside at some point. Yeah. But with Fant coming back healthy, they do have some depth there. You still have some guys that you're hoping can develop well under Solari, who has a good track record of that. Um, you know, throughout his coaching tenure. So Jones is kind of a guy that really fits that mold, though. You know, you look at his, uh, he did not have a great uh, combine. He, his, I mean, you look at like the cone, the vert, all these things that define athleticism. It's like the anti-Tom Cable. It's like the antithesis of. It's really weird because Seattle's been kind of married to that sparky type guy, that athletic guy for a long time. It has. To take a guy that's disappointed in those areas, it used to be those were red flags and. This could signal, you know, maybe this is a Solari influenced pick. Yeah, and you know, but he's a mauler. He's a, you know, he's another big bodied yeah. guy. He's like what you would stereotype to be like a midwestern, like Ohio Statey type guy, right? Like that's he's a, he fits that mold exactly. So I think that this kind of shows you what they want their guys to look like. And you've heard about some of these guys um, already on Seattle gaining weight this off season and gaining muscle. He wants maulers. That's what he wants. And Jones kind of fits that profile. Seattle did trade uh, from 18 down to 27. Um, they ended up trading as well in the third round with Pittsburgh from 76 to 79. Pittsburgh, with that 76 pick, took Mason Rudolph, quarterback of Oklahoma State. And with the extra seventh-round pick, Seattle picked up from Pittsburgh in that trade for three spots down. They went with Alex McGuff from FIU. The other final comment I'll say about Penny and the overall, because we're seeing— Your two cents. If you—my two cents— <laughs> You're welcome. Nice. Nice. That's two penny puns today. We're mm-hmm. good. We're, we're on en fuego here. Um, the, 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 the last thing I'll say about that, because you're seeing a lot of people pan Seattle's draft, very reminiscent of 2012 in terms of you know a reach here, a reach there. But running back shelf lives now in the NFL are what, four or five years? Certainly in terms of peak. Yeah. So as a, as average, yeah, that might be right. If Seattle is trying to make a, you know, rebuild quickly, if you will, and make another run in the next three seasons, the penny pick fits that mold from that perspective as well. So definitely something to think about is reach or not, like you said, positionally, whether or not people like me don't agree that they necessarily needed another guy there. If they do believe he's truly special and they do believe that he is a guy that can really have a big impact offensively, Based on the career arc of a lot of running backs, especially recently in the NFL, he fits the mold with when they're trying to make a push. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. We'll wrap it up there. That's our NFL Draft 2018 recap. We'll be back uh, sometime early next week, I would imagine, to uh, further this conversation with the Seahawks. The location of next year's draft will be determined later this month of May, actually. So May 1st is tomorrow. Happy uh, May. It's going to be May. And it's going to be crazy. Uh, and so much more to talk about at that point, too. We got rookie mini camps this week, too. It's going to be a lot of fun. So he's Perkins. I'm Judah. Uh, follow at Game Plan Pod on Twitter at 1029 The Game. See you later. <laughs> 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 I, I, need a, I need a better. <laughs> See you later. 1029thegame.com. I'm going to use that one.